about a year ago, I was involved in a court case. Malpractice? Yeah, he could say that. What did they accuse you of? Kidnapping and attempted murder. That doesn't sound like malpractice. It was complicated. It is my sincere pleasure to introduce your new instructor for this semester, Dr. Albert Beck. Hi. Dr. Beck, when I heard that you were going to teach at my school, I was really excited because of your reputation as a cardiologist. I don't know, I kind of developed a crush for you. I guess I have a thing for older men. You know, you shouldn't be doing this. This doesn't concern you. you got a big problem and you don't see it. What's my problem? Younger women. This man kidnapped me. He tried to kill me. Sophie, they found me not guilty. That jury was rigged. She's a former patient of mine. She's crazy. This guy is sick in the head, and he needs to go. I mean, what if that Sophie girl is lying? Is there any truth behind what she's saying? Oh, none at all. He's a con artist and a fraud. 14 of your students came to the office yesterday. They want to transfer to a different class. You can drop out of my class. Don't even think about it. Is this for real? Definitely yes. You think you can just kick me out of school and shut me up? You think I'm just gonna go away? I wanna be with you for the rest of your life. You are dead, Beck! I'm gonna nail you for what you did! We have to kill her. Today we will be performing a double open heart transplant. Let's talk about why these girls are undergoing surgery today. These girls were born with evil, duplicitous hearts. How does one heal a treacherous heart? By giving them all the love I possibly can. I'm gonna be a doctor, and you're an embarrassment to my profession. You shouldn't have said that. You're sick, Melissa, but I can cure you. <laughs> if you just let me operate. Now give me your hand. And let's go to surgery. I'm not sick. You are. You really know how to try my ladies, don't you? Shut up. Welcome to They Call This a Movie, testing the strength of friendships one terrible movie at a time. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and the podcast services by searching They Call This a Movie. We are part of the Main Damien Network. And to find more from us, check out the website themaindamien.com or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Main Damien. We're also now a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. You can find them at gvnation.com. Welcome back to They Call This a Movie. This is Anthony Dalvecchio. With me, as always, is Dan Aquino and Mark Myers. Say hello, gentlemen. What's up, everybody? Hello. So, um, not a long uh, opening here for me, but. Uh, as some of you may know from our other content, um, I had a little weekend trip to the Southwest um, and was surprised at the lack of deep Texan accents that I heard. I don't, it was kind of weird, you know, like all the times I've been to the South, it's like prevalent and everywhere. Um, down there, didn't hear it much. Um, kind of weird. I don't know if any of you, uh, yeah, speaking of accents. Um, guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't know what it, I don't know what they have in the water over there, right? Yeah, water. <laughs> uh, I've never been there, to be honest. Um, yes. So I, I couldn't tell you, unfortunately. Yeah, it was it was uh, the one good thing I was there for a uh, softball tournament for my niece, and uh, the weird thing was that it was sponsored by Arm and Hammer. And... Did Army Hammer show up and throw out the first pitch and then eat somebody? <laughs> and then I was going to say, and then murder someone and eat them. <laughs> I, home I, I got to share that bit of trivia with the uh, parents 
that were there with us. It's like, you know, Army Hammer is like the grandson of the guy that made Arm and Hammer. Um, did they know that? I'm sure they they must have, right? Did they know yeah. who Army Hammer was? I would say it's 50-50. Yeah, it was, it's like, <laughs> all right, weird guy. <laughs> I, I just picture Mark going around the stadium telling people that. Just every, like, Anyone who would listen. Guys, guys, did you know that his grandfather's name was Armand Hammer? And that's why it's called Arm and Hammer? I got to go over here now. And uh... <laughs> They pull their children away from him. <laughs> the other team forfeits. <laughs> Pretty solid strategy, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Freak out the other team's yeah. parents. Yeah, I feel yeah, like it's all legal. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I feel like Mark is that guy that like the thumbs down guy from the Yankee games. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, right, but... So now is it is it just to Army Hammer? Is that is, is that how it works? I, just I don't know. Army Hammer is that what you're right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Yeah, you could also boo Francisco Lindor too. See what what happened. With oh, that. he will not like that. <laughs> All right. Besides Mark's trip to the Southwest, uh, gentlemen, what did you watch this week? Anything? Yeah. So I, I saw a couple new movies. Uh, I saw in theaters Shang Chi, and I think uh, now I think that this movie was a little overhyped. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the first two thirds of this movie. And then the last third, the last act, it lost me. I got a little too fantastical for me. But I, I enjoyed it overall. It, it was a very good origin story. Uh, but I know a lot of people are like, oh, this is the best Marvel origin story. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's good, but I, I would not say it's the best. Um, I would give would it a 7.5 out of 10. Would you say the one third you did not like was all the scenes involving um, Aquafina? Oh, I don't. I don't understand why she was so heavily involved in this movie. She has no powers. She has nothing. She she has a fanny pack. That's her superpower. She she carries around a fanny pack, and somehow I don't want. I, maybe this is a slight spoiler, but she becomes an expert archer in a day. Is that a thing? Do do they just do that? I don't think that's how it works. Um, but yeah, what do you mean I, by I, they who's they? Uh, Aquafina. <laughs> and okay, the mystical and the mystical people uh, where were where were they from shit i keep thinking of kunlun but that's i think that's iron fist what was the mystical area with all the magical know. beings shangri-la Shang- i don't think it's shangri-la magic <laughs> no but xanadu sh- yes that's what it was xanadu in uh in east rutherford um yeah the uh so, Things never gonna open. <laughs> right. So essentially, you know, they they go into this mystic realm, and she becomes an expert archer. I, it makes no sense. I, I didn't like it. Um, yeah. But I saw. So I saw that, and then I saw Malignant on HBO Max, and holy shit! <laughs> what a stupid movie. <laughs> so I have not seen this, but. I keep hearing things that the third act was batshit crazy. It's... And I kept I kept l- hovering over it on HBO Max, and then I never got around to it. And then Red Letter Media did a review of it. I was like, all right, I'm just going to watch this. And it seems batshit crazy. It, oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, it's the first, again, first two-thirds of the movie are just, eh, it's decent. The last act, what it's the awesome. hell? It, it's insanity. Right. <laughs> I don't know what James Wan was smoking, but 
I I need to get in contact with his guy because <laughs> we so we've seen I mean I've seen Basket Case I Anthony you've seen Basket Case as well yep um it it definitely has moments of that just it, it's on like speed it's it's Basket Case on speed the last third of the movie and it just it made me laugh so hard at the big reveal. Oh man! Like I don't know whether to love it or just think this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. Uh huh. It's it's a toss up. I think Red Letter Media they also questioned whether or not he's pulling a Sam Raimi for Spider Man Three. Very close. Yeah. Where it's like it sets itself up to be like, oh yeah, the first two thirds of this movie is you know your typical James Wan movie, and then it's just like now it's not a typical James Wan movie, and <laughs> he's burning this bridge of what everything you think of when you think of a James Wan movie and is because he doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> it was weird, you know. So I was watching it with uh, with Jen, and there are jump scares in it, and it's like the first shot of the movie or like the first scene, it's, it's a very like tongue in cheek line where. There's a doctor, and the doctor looks directly into the camera and says, time to cut out the cancer. And Jen goes, is this going to be like a Shaun of the Dead movie where it's more like a comedy but still has parts where, you know, parts where it's a, it's a little, there's a meaning to it essentially, right? It's it's not full-on yeah. comedy. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I was like, I don't think so. I mean, it's James Wan. You know, he directed, <laughs> he directed The Conjuring. That wasn't yeah. a joke. That was very much a scary movie. Right. And then Lorraine Bracco comes up from off screen and she says, cancer? What are you talking about? <laughs> Brain cancer? <laughs> yeah. It, oh, goodness. I, I, <laughs> I like the, the big reveal. I don't know if he meant for people to laugh. But I got a really good laugh out of it. And uh, this movie, was it was not a good movie by any, uh, you know, form of the imagination. God damn, man. Like, the last third of the movie, it, it's like... Matrix meets basket case. <laughs> that's the best it's way wild. to put it. Yeah. From what I saw, it's wild. Uh, you watch anything that's else? That's it for me. No, that, that's it. All right. What about you, Mark? Yeah, so I actually have a movie to contribute this week. Man, um, the, busiest, the busiest weekend he has all year, and he actually watches something this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had I had three hours of nothing to do but sitting in a chair in the sky, so I had some, some time to burn. Um, so uh, one of the choices was uh, Cruella. Uh, from Disney, and I actually liked it. Uh, you know, the you know maybe I'm just a, a show for Emma Stone, but um, I th- I thought it was you know at least good enough. It wasn't like terrible like a bunch of those other uh, reboots or live action stuff has been um, on Disney uh, from you know going from the cartoons. I thought it was an interesting way to do you know a take on that origin story to not make her as cartoonishly evil if you're going to do live action with it. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you go by the true cartoon story, nobody's going to go watch the movies. Sure. Um, but if you make her more of a punk, crazy person um, that just likes to be a villain, but not really evil, um, you can get some people to go watch it. Um, yeah, I think out of all the stuff that goes on in that movie um, and, you know, the great acting, I think the and all I think the scariest thing is, is that there's a two minute scene where Mark Stone has hair <laughs> or strong Mark Strong. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he uh, has hair for like two minutes. Right. And I'm like, that that is no. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I think we've all watched it. Uh, I think the Emmas, both of them, are great in that movie. I think Emma Stone chews yeah. the scenery like I've never seen her chew the scenery before. I think she's she's really good in that. I think the pop songs get a little played out. Like it's yeah. it's a lot. Like almost Suicide Squad level. But no, yeah, I enjoy I enjoyed it. I thought it was fine, but it was enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. And- I, I think I was on record as saying I I did not enjoy it as much as you guys. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, to me it was. I don't understand trying to be sympathetic to a person who uh, murders animals and wears them like that. I think, especially dogs. Right? Like who yeah, who right. wants to wear a dog coat? Yeah, but well, this is a. Uh... Yeah, I mean they can't undo what they did in the first movie. Uh, I mean, I right. guess they could if they had a sequel. Then who knows? Maybe she doesn't really. Maybe it's the woke version of it where she it's all faux fur. And she just hates Maybe. dogs. Maybe dogs maul her in the face in the first act, and now she wants to take revenge on the dogs that did it. Yeah. I don't know. That was also a very silly way to <laughs> to have your mother die. Yeah, I mean, it's not I perfect. Feel. but Yeah, uh, but Ed Stone was very good in it. I, I will admit, uh, I did enjoy her little runway, like impromptu runways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And like how she, like basically she invented punk music i thought that was very cool as well yeah. uh yeah and the 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 actor who played jasper i i liked him i thought that he was a he was yeah. a pretty good addition mm-hmm. uh, yeah i was like yeah, to see was... paul walter hauser show up too <laughs> yeah paul walter oh it was he the uh the bigger guy he's house uh yeah. horace yeah horace yeah now he's not really english no okay so that was just that was a decent accent yeah, I mean, I think I think in the the original they're very Cockney, really thick yeah. um, British yeah. accent stereotype, and I think in terms of framing it that way, he does a pretty good imitation of that accent. Yes, I thought yeah, so too. I, and I think part of your point too, I think this is a reboot, like prequel to the cartoons, to where I think they're trying to change that whole. You know, it's more that she doesn't actually kill the dogs or hate this. Dog. I think she actually ends up with the dogs at the end. Spoilers. Um, yeah, I think so. She kidnaps yeah. the dogs, but she doesn't. She makes Emma Thompson think that she kills her dogs, but she doesn't. Yeah, because she's trying to make Emma Thompson go crazy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think they're trying to rehab that a little bit. Um. And it's just more. She's just using the media and perception and all to sort of, you know be a badass um is essentially what i think she's saying at the end but yeah it was it was it was entertaining enough that you know the other reboots of of classic characters were not as entertaining um yeah and i agree with aunt i would have done without the pop music but i think it's a solid seven you know i would watch it again sort of movie cool as for me i watched a bunch of stuff i will get through a couple of them Uh, i watched i know what you did last summer the original for the first time in since theaters. I don't think I've ever seen it outside of theaters. Watch that. Um, yeah. So I know what you did last summer. I That's forgot. So I always, I always mistake Ryan Phillippe for the dead guy. Uh, for what's his name? What do you mean the dead guy? Uh, Paul Walker. Paul Walker. <laughs> oh. Remember uh, when, when he was a thing, Ryan Felipe? Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, I, it reminded me how much I had a crush on Sarah Michelle Gellar in the 90s without watching Buffy. So that was the thing. I mean, Jennifer Love Hewitt has the worst bangs in this movie. Oh, that's my girl. <laughs> well, in oh, the man. beginning. So when like she in the beginning, before she like starts to 
for all of a sudden halfway through the movie she starts to just get really sexy like, like oh my all of a sudden my all my clothes are low cut tops out of nowhere <laughs> it was to lure out the killer it's yeah. genius what are you waiting for huh <laughs> that i it, would you call that a famous 90s line yeah, it's like probably the most enduring part of this movie it's like the one thing i remember yeah. from this movie yeah for sure oh but yeah it's so silly but her bangs in the beginning when she's like at in school before the killer starts messaging her again so terrible just really wispy hmm. i don't know so watch that i watched evil dead 2 yesterday which is good uh also though i was ha- paying half attention I never realized how annoying evil dead movies can be when you're only paying half attention when you're like trying to do something else and just there's so much screaming just non-stop <laughs> so yeah that was that um and then i went to the theaters twice this week actually and I saw Candyman, the new one, which I really liked. Yeah. Better than the original? I don't know if I like it better than the original. Uh, so I also watched the original after I watched it. Uh, it does yeah. a really good job of tying the new one into the first one. The first one, I forgot how little Candyman exists in that movie. It's, right. He, he, it's more like a Jaws type of thing, right? Where yeah. He's only mentioned. Yeah. He, because you don't, you you think of Candyman, and I think you think more of like the second one, where like everybody's just playing the Candyman game and all that stuff. But it really doesn't mm-hmm. happen until like second half of the movie. Um, but the I really like the the second one. I like how they tied in the first. I like how they tied in kind of what has happened in the in this country in the past couple of years. And uh, yeah, it was really well done. I am interested in seeing if they go any further with it but definitely thought it was a good time. So I watched those two. And then I went to, with my parents to see Citizen Kane and the 80th anniversary screening for a Fathom Events. Which Citizen nice. Kane is Citizen Kane. It's fine. I could think of probably at least a half dozen other movies as it's contemporary that I like more. But Citizen Kane uh, is a fine movie. I think... A lot of people just kind of hold that movie in such high regard because of its pedigree, right? Yeah, yeah. And I would have to imagine that in the... When did that movie come out? When was 1941. It? Right. So in the decades that have followed, it's impossible for a better movie to have not come out. You know what I mean? Right. I'm just talking about that time period, like Casablanca. Yes. If you if you put gun to my head, which one would I prefer to watch? I'd wa- rather watch Casablanca. You know, sure. I think it's a more compelling story for sure. But Uh, I mean, obviously, very well made movie. And it is in the top five of AFI's top 100 list for a reason. I'm not going to shit on it, but sometimes it's kind of boring. Yeah. Feels like homework. Feels like homework. Sometimes it is homework. It was at least once for me. Yeah, for me, too. You you know, you go to a (laughs) higher education institute. Yeah, I, you're uh, you're probably gonna watch that if you take a film cl- uh, film course. Yeah, uh, and that, I haven't seen that movie in forever. Yeah, uh, that's probably been at least a decade since I've watched yeah. it. I definitely oh, saw it, it once in least. college. So, but yeah, it was good. It was cool to see. Uh, there was like nobody in the theater, which was awesome. Just me, my parents, yes. and a couple old people. Because the kids don't, you know, they don't appreciate hashtag cinema. The kids aren't clamoring for the Citizen Kane 4K <laughs> experience. <laughs> Not like they used to. <laughs> and, and, did you, 
I'm sorry. Uh, did you also see uh, Shang Chi? I have not seen Shang Chi. No. Oh, for so. Oh, you know what? I took it as when you said you went to the theaters. I was like, oh, he also saw Shang Chi. Nope. So I saw Candyman. Okay. okay. I wanted to see Candyman when it first came out, and for whatever reason, I just didn't get around to it. And then I saw that my theater was still playing it. Surprisingly, so I was like, you know what? I've got a Saturday. I don't have much to do, and I'm gonna go see it. And then I should have watched the first one before I went to it because there's plot points that. If you've watched the first one recently, you would see coming a mile away and stuff like that. Mm. Um, but it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, you might, I think you'll like it. It was really yeah. well done. It was like pretty quick, too. It was like it moved really chugged along. Hour and um, a half, right? Yeah. Okay. Really yeah those movies it. are good. Yeah. I like I even like the second one, uh, Farewell to the Flesh. I like it mostly because it takes place in New Orleans. So it's got that whole mm. vibe to it. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely has. I, I haven't seen it, but I know you've talked about it. I, I have other friends who have seen it, and it, it, yeah, it has more of the cultural flavor to it than mm-hmm. than the first one. But, you know, obviously that definitely helps yeah. uh, with the, the mythos of Candyman. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there was one other thing, because I, I thought we were going to get into it, because, again, I thought you had seen uh, Shang-Chi. Um, and... The one, the one thing I wanted to get into is it's another, it's another Aquafina gripe. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to like spoil too much here, but essentially at the end she kind of is invited into uh, like an Avengers type meeting. Mm-hmm. I was like, why is she the first like sidekick to be brought in on an <laughs> Avengers level meeting? There are so many other better sidekicks. <laughs> what, what about um uh lewis from ant-man <laughs> hey, he's so much cooler i would much rather see him hanging out with captain marvel and uh in spider-man that's that's so much better i don't want to see aquafina she, she has nothing she she offers nothing Man, just it it, it it boggled my mind you're hating Ooh. on aquafina I was going to say, it's like, this has really turned into like a Aquafina bashing. And I didn't mean for it to be that way. <laughs> it's like the third best bottled water anyway. Mm, yeah. Wait, wait, are you a, uh, a deer? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I can't back that up with a list. Yeah. It just made me think, I don't know. It, like Nestle? Nestle has their own water, but like Deer Park? Is that it's one? Definitely, it's definitely not uh, Dasani, that's for sure. Oh, no. Yeah, that that's those $4 bottles of water. You don't like those? No. All right. Well, we're talking about bottled water now, so that means this segment is over. So we are going to take a quick break, and you guys are going to listen to some ads so we can pay those bills. And we'll be back in a second. And welcome back. Now it's time to get into this week's movie. And this week was my pick. And I decided to go back to the well. Last year, we watched Stalked by My Doctor uh the return or something like that whatever the first the second one was called it doesn't matter yeah it's not a good start when you don't... <laughs> stock you, by the doctor that movie stock by the doctor colon the return yes i believe that's the name and so i decided to go back to that well and we watched stock by my doctor colon patient's revenge from 2018 Gentlemen, where are you coming from with Stalked by My Doctor, colon, Patience Revenge? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, it's such a it's such a weird... It, it's so cool. You could watch any of these movies 
You don't have to see the previous one. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, what's going on? It's so nope. cool. I love it. Uh, the, the second I turn this movie on, it just jumps right into it. So yep. I got confused. I was like, oh, did I miss something? Did I miss the, the opening credits? Nope. It just goes right into it. Um, holy shit, dude. <laughs> this movie had so many twists and turns in it. I, I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, you don't know yeah. what's going on, right? It, it, sort Yeah, no, I didn't. And I, I don't know. This is probably going to take away all my credibility as a quote-unquote movie reviewer. But I kind of enjoyed when Eric Roberts talked to himself. <laughs> because it, it kind of left it open. Like, oh, maybe yeah, none of this shit is happening. I, I don't know. But yeah. yeah. Eric Roberts, God bless his soul. He really gives it 100% in these movies. Yeah, I mean, that's also his blood alcohol kind too in these movies it's 100% (laughs) (laughs) his alter I guess his uh, subconscious right he's literally he's probably drinking heavy alcohol in all those scenes because every time he shows up he's drinking yeah he's got a pina colada he's vacation Dr. Beck that's so good I loved it I I love this movie (laughs) do you like this more or less than the second one Uh, I like this more I like this more because a I rem- I don't remember the last one. Uh, although they were kind enough to show us a flashback of him pushing the one woman off the balcony. Yeah, which you know, beautiful, beautiful cinema. And yeah, this one is just man. Again, it, it, the execution so terrible, but also so beautiful. I don't understand it because you figure it out. You still want to know why. It, it's almost like a <laughs> shitty Ocean's Eleven, yeah. right? Where they explain how they get into the bank vault without everyone knowing. They break it down. And then they do in this movie. You're like, man, that is so stupid. I love it. <laughs> All right. What about you, Mark? Where are you coming from? Stalked by my doctor, well, colon, Patient's Revenge. Uh, well, first off, it uh, made me realize that La La Land was in 2016. And I still don't believe that, despite looking <laughs> it up multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, because as soon as that scene came on, I was like, the fuck did La La Land come out? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, because I was almost half hoping that this La La Land ripped off this movie, but that was not true. <laughs> um, and also during my IMDb ventures, I figured out that this was technically the sequel to the first movie, essentially. Um, you know, because it's the same, the, the person, the, person he kidnaps and tries to kill in the first movie is the girl basically uh, trying to kill him or put him in jail in this movie and yep. that makes more sense if you know that um you know going in it's like oh why why did i make it such a big deal about this trial it's like oh it's the whole point of the first movie patience um, revenge mark it says right in the title yeah. oh man like i was talking to a, a co-worker and they were like oh it's stalked by my doctor i wonder what that movie's about like oh <laughs> kind of in the title yep <laughs> But but at the same time, that person has no idea what this movie is about. No, no, no. <laughs> they would not be able to guess any of it. Uh, like Dan said, I, I actually do remember parts of the of the last movie um, we did, but I did like this one a lot better because there were moments when I didn't think it could get better in terms of bad. It's so bad. It's good. And it just kept topping itself. Um, like uh, when like. Uh, um dan said vacation back um was awesome every time he showed up um 
my favorite line delivery of the movie is um is when something discovers he, something happens and um he runs in the room and then looks at the cops and goes i didn't do that or did i do that <laughs> sure <laughs> just, <laughs> just to wait oh man and the sheer fact that it's 2018 and yet this man has now almost killed multiple women and now he's fleeing from the cops <laughs> you know it did happen previously you know um now that this whole as dan described it an ocean's 11 setup um occurred um oh man it's great um not going to spoil too much in this opening because there's so much to talk about later um but yeah these i we have to do the fourth one um at some point here um to, to finish fifth, it out there's a fifth one too there's a oh lot. man there's five <laughs> yeah they can't so since we've since we did the first one there's a fifth one and it doesn't have the patient the head doesn't have stock by my doctor in the title it's just what the doctor ordered is the fifth one okay <laughs> Yeah, I think it came Is out. A prequel? I think it came out the the beginning of this year or like in April of this year. I saw yeah. one of the suggestions on Amazon was stalked by my neighbor. So yeah. they're already like doing spin-offs. I know the fourth one. I I think stalked by my neighbor might have been first before this one. But the fourth one has sexomnia in it. He gets a job at oh, a yes. sleep study uh clinic that is and, what it said in the description <laughs> and he falls for a niece and aunt that both ha- suffer from sexomnia which if you don't know what sexomnia is because it sounds like it's completely made up but i'm pretty sure it's a real thing it's someone that basically sleeps sleepwalks but instead of walking they have sex they uncontrollably have sex with people and that's that is the only that's the natural progression of this series of films is sex omnia is like fast the fast series is eventually going to go to space if it hasn't already i don't really care mark do not answer the question but <laughs> this this one was always set out always inevitably it was going to it was going to wind up on in sex omnia yeah a, a co-worker of mine uh w- surprised me with a bit of Eric Roberts trivia. Uh, and so I, I don't remember it verbatim, but he, he came into where I was working and he was, he was asking how many movies do you think Eric Roberts has in post-production? I'm like, Oh, you know, yeah, probably like three or four. He's like, Oh no, it's about 21. <laughs> 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 and that's post-production. And then he's signed on for another 30 movies. Holy shit. Thank God bless you, Eric Roberts. Yeah. This, so in a recent interview, Nick Cage said he would never turn down any movies and he's not going to uh, retire. Eric Roberts puts Nick Cage to shame. All right. <laughs> That's like, oh, yeah, all right, hold my beer. And yeah. he just does. You throw a script at Eric Roberts, he does it. Like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll do it. What's in it? Doesn't matter. And is there any is there any parts in that zombie script you have that we might want to throw at Eric Roberts um, and see? Eric Roberts, made? Eric Roberts. If you've got time, I will sit there and write scripts specifically for you. Because I, God bless him. Thank God he, thank God they they he agreed to these movies because this is the role yes. he's been born. He was born to play. Like absolutely. Oh yeah. my God, he's so good in this movie, and I mean that sincerely, but also ironically because. It's so ridiculous. This these movies. I think I might like this one more than the second one too. These movies just keep getting better. 
I don't know how. It's like <laughs> the first, the second one had we had that ridiculous fall from the ladder. That's how that guy died. Yeah, that was hilarious. And then we had those uh, those pancakes. That one pancake shot with yeah, Amy's name right. all in the in the maple syrup. But this one's got it's got two Eric Roberts, which this podcast loves when actors play two roles. You know, yes. we've we've seen it twice with Jean Claude Van Damme, and now we've got Eric Roberts playing himself and the imaginary vacation version of himself, which I love. Um, and the regular Eric Roberts in this one is drunk, probably. And so in the second <laughs> one, even more so, probably. Uh, then we have the balls for this movie to just outright parody La La Land is just chef's kiss. Yes. It's just, <laughs> just a lifetime movie that must have cost like a million dollars, maybe like five million at most. And they're like, you know what? We're just gonna we're gonna rip off one of the biggest movies of the past three years. <laughs> Why fucking not? We're just gonna par- straight up parody it. Uh, I was watching bolt scenes like in two separate YouTube windows because I was just floored by the idea of them deciding to do that and everyone thinking it was a fantastic idea. And it looked like they tried hard to do it too. Yeah, you know there, there was had effort. To be- weeks of choreography to get that scene as good as they got it it's and it's solid three and a half minute scene in the middle of this movie god bless it and the incent so i watch these movies twice um every time just because i write i write my notes on the second go around this movie is one of the rare instances better on the second viewing because you know the twist and going through it the second time, you're watching with the knowledge of what happens at the end. So spoilers, we're spoiled here because let's talk about it. The whole, so Dr. Beck, the whole point of the story is Dr. Beck start, moves on from practicing medicine and now he gets a job at, at a college. And then like the first day he's in college, he falls head over heels in love with his students, Melissa. So he gets cozy with her and while that's happening, girl from the first movie that he kidnapped and tried to kill uh sophie enrolls into this college so she could get closer to him and basically make his life a living hell so he gets closer to melissa while sophie is treated like the absolute villain of this film for the entire movie which is mind-blowing because we all have the foreknowledge that she is a victim (laughs) of a of a traumatic experience at the hands of the man this movie gleefully treats as the protagonist. <laughs> it's insane. Because Sophie plays so hard into the villain oh, role too. She Sophie is the MVP of this film because she is batshit insane in this movie. Like, she so- does such a good job pretending that she's a maniac in this movie. Who's actress? Yeah. Bravo. She does it great. So she, the, the two main things that would solidify her as the villain. She ties up Eric Roberts, uh, Albert. She ties him up. She's going she's gonna to castrate him. She's going to cut his dick off. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's evil, right? Yep. That's something a, a crazy villain would do. And she calls him afterwards, <laughs> gloating about how the cops <laughs> aren't going to do shit while cocking a shotgun into the receiver. <laughs> 
God, it's so fantastic. <laughs> so what winds up happening at the end is that Sophie and Melissa are in on it. They're childhood best friends. And when Dr. Beck was found not guilty in his trial for kidnapping and attempted murder of Sophie, who was treated like the villain through most of this movie, uh, they hatch a plan to send him to prison uh, by faking the death of Sophie. And Sophie is then going to get a new identity and live the rest of her life in isolation or just like as a new person just as long as dr beck remains in prison um but to watch sophie and melissa go through the steps they go through with the knowledge that they are in on it is hilarious to me because melissa fucks dr beck melissa takes one for the team banging the old guy (laughs) yeah it's wild and that's not even the craziest thing they have an out and out just trading haymakers like Apollo Creed and Rocky in the first Rocky film. Mm. No one is holding back. They are mashing each other's brains in in the pat on the patio. They, they sold it. They, you <laughs> they know, fucking sell it, man. Because Sophie comes out of nowhere with that first haymaker. Just mm. boom. Like I mean, Logan Paul, watch out. <laughs> it's so as you mentioned. Where, you know, watching this the second time is even better because you know the twist. So as I'm I'm, I'm going through my notes, it, it starts to make more sense, right? Because it's, you know, it's probably not a good look, uh, not a good look standing up for a suspected kidnapper and, and murderer. So that was one of them. Hangs the old guy. That, you know, that, that this chick is legit ride or die when she was going to murder Sophie for him. <laughs> <laughs> so... Like, why didn't she stab her tires when she was trying to flee? So I'm like, oh, like, why isn't she doing any of this stuff, right? It makes sense because they're in cahoots. Right. But also, it doesn't make any sense. Why is the plan that you're almost going to castrate him on his patio? Right. That, that, takes, <laughs> that takes an incredible amount of pre-planning and perfect timing. Yeah. It's like... It's like, well, well, why couldn't you just do whatever it is there? No, that's what you that's what he would think he would do. So we got to <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to castrate him. Then I'm a monster. No, we're going to do it another way. We're going to get use that moment to get you in line with killing me so that he agrees to it so that we could steal a body from the morgue. <laughs> and put it into a car so we could so we could go online, learn how to make a bomb, and then blow up my car. <laughs> oh, and that's what I meant. It, it's almost like an uh, Ocean's Eleven style of breaking down the plan, right? Yep. And like, then sneak yeah. back into the the coroner's office and change the medical records so that the dental records line up. <laughs> and and then. This whole thing falls apart once the cops find out that she is actually alive. So her whole story would mean jack shit at that point. Because now you just framed someone for the wrongful death of you. Oh, yeah. Now, they have they have, uh, they have committed serious crimes in this. Yes. And, and now they bought a gun off the black market. It's an, unli- <laughs> it's an unregistered gun. They've stolen was- a body. They've <laughs> falsified documents. They broke and entered into a, a, a medical facility. Um, Falsified they, police reports. Yeah. Fraud. I, I don't know what pretending you're dead fa- falls under, but it's at least fraud. It's got to be. <laughs> yeah. So 
but she's lucky that the cops have such a hard on for Eric Roberts going oh, yeah. down. <laughs> this is that's the most refreshing part of this movie is that like even after the the trial, they're still siding with the victim, which is like, wow, wow, guys, you're pretty woke, <laughs> right? And, and, then, and then the one cop when Melissa pretending that she was raped, uh, she, but she like for whatever reason she just doesn't say, you know, he me. She's like, uh, sort of raped me. Uh, practically, but he's like, practically, I just yes. I didn't want to have sex with him, and he got really mad, and he took advantage of me. He's like, no means no, right? And she's like, exactly. <laughs> it's like, wow, this cop that probably could have been played by like White from the Blue Collar Comedy Tour. Now, but at that point, why would you not just say he raped you? Right, you're you're already right. going down. You you want him to go down? Get him for everything. Yeah, you're already making shit up. It, exactly. It, re- recounting this reminds me of my favorite scene of this sequence uh, when they're hatching out their plan, when they're describing their plan, where she slams the door into her face to make herself bleed <laughs> before tying herself. To- <laughs> right. She ties herself to the bed, too. I don't know how she was able to complete that by herself. I don't know. I- I'm assuming one of those hands completely tied. It probably just yeah. slipped in and out. Yeah, that makes um, sense. But yeah, and and all the things that they couldn't have possibly planned for, like Doctor Beck poisoning Sophie with fentanyl. That's right. <laughs> Just man, didn't plan for that one. <laughs> Came out of left field. I I will say the one thing that this movie was missing from the return, uh, stalked by my doctor, the return was kind of like the slapstick humor, the the slapstick element. Or you know, you mentioned like. Pushing the the woman off of the balcony, uh, uh, the the guy falling off the ladder, it's, it didn't have those moments. This was, I think, they were a little too serious or trying to be too serious in this movie. Uh, so I would like to have seen. I mean, the the beginning is a lot of fun, where he threatens to stab this woman, who, cut her tongue out. Oh yeah, she was. I <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of the movie in the beginning, where. They're lying in bed, and she says, you know, I'm going to love you unconditionally no matter what. And he just opens up, like, yeah, you know, I kidnapped a woman and uh, almost murdered her. And she's like, oh, okay, well, I got to go now. (laughs) And she makes it super obvious that she's leaving forever. He gets dressed, runs down the stairs, and then Eric Roberts meets her down the stairs. Yeah. and That's impossible. Enough time to grab a knife? Yeah, that's impossible. How did they do that? But I loved it. Oh my god, this movie. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Mm. I can't wait to I can't wait to watch the next one in a year from now. <laughs> so now, this is what worried me is, you know, how we have the we have traditions on they called this a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, we we watch the the Twilight movies for uh <laughs> for uh Valentine's Day. Yeah. Actually, we next watch... year is uh 50 Shades of Grey. 50 Shades Darker. 50 Shades Darker. So we we have that We've watched the Leprechaun movies. Yep. Our, so now is this like a new thing yeah. for us? Usually our traditions are quite punishing. Not this time, though. <laughs> I no, say, I, this I, might be the best of our traditions. Yeah, I, I, I am happy that, we, you know, and happy in a loose term. Yeah. I'm not I'm not jumping for joy. Oh, I can't wait to watch the next Stalked by My Doctor. No, but we gotta, I, I'm not dying about it. Yeah, we got to, we're... You know, we'll give it another year, basically. You know, once a year, we'll watch it. I think we watched it in June last year, last year, so it's been over a year. 
But yeah. Yeah. It works for me. Yep. Uh, so, Stalk by My Doctor, colon, Patient's Revenge from 2018, is directed by Doug Campbell, who wrote and directed the first three Stalk by My Doctor films. So I'm a little nervous about the, the fourth one because he hasn't r- written and directed that one. He also directed Dirty Teacher, Stalked by My Neighbor, Double Mommy, Deadly Mile High Club, Pom Poms and Payback. And he has two movies in post-production and in production. Garage Sale Killer and Psycho Swim Instructor. These all sound amazing. Every single one of these. Say, can, we, can we do a blank check version of just doing this doctor, uh, this director's filmography? Because uh, just, he just... is knee-deep in Lifetime movies. And <laughs> yeah. I have been circling Double Mommy for quite some time because it is prime. <laughs> it sounds great, too. Man. This guy's great. Uh, stars Eric Roberts, Anna Marie Dobbins, Brianna Joy Chomer, Deborah Zoe, Rico Simonini, John Burdell, Tony Winters, and Zafani Adoko. Sign to be score of 5.4 and a Rotten Tomato score of 20% audience. No critic score. Uh, there is no budget information available and no box office because it is a TV movie that premiered on June 10th of 2018. That's Stockholm and Dr. Patient's Revenge. You guys want to get into the plot? Yeah. yeah. I, lo- I love the fact that they got the actress back from the first movie. Yeah. In this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, or else this would this would have been a ridiculous, uh, ridiculous plan. You could have done do. it with you could have done it with any actress. Everybody was like, oh, okay, yeah, that is Sophie. I completely remember what she looked like <laughs> from the first movie. Oh, yeah, because she doesn't even look the same either. This one's yeah. she's she's more the goth chick in this one. But uh all right, Dan, what do you got for us this week? All right, I'm uh, going to give a quick shout-out to our friends Tia and Brittany. Go check out their podcast, The Top Ten with Tia. Tia and Brittany run down top ten lists. Uh, you can check them out at geekvibesnation.com. That's where they post their podcast. You could also follow Tia on Twitter at TC underscore Stark. Okay, great. And we are going to take a quick break, and you guys are going to listen to some messages from friends of the podcast. And we'll be right back. Hey everyone, this is Steve. And this is Adam. And we're part of the Hop Nation USA podcast. Pittsburgh's number three craft beer podcast. Join us every Friday for new beer reviews. We'll talk about the news, history, and homebrewing. Plus, we'll sit down with the best brewers and industry personalities that'll have us. So whether you're a casual drinker, a hazy boy hophead, or even if you're a whale hunting cellar hoarder, just search Hop Nation USA on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher and join the nation. Oh, hi. Didn't see you there. It's me, George, from the best little horror house in Philly, the show where we talk about the best horror movie ever made, according to our guest at least. We've talked about groundbreaking classics like Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Alien, but we've also got a lot of great ones coming up, including some very fun guests like Len Kabazinski of Swamp Zombies and Red Letter Media fame, Caroline Williams, the star of Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, and Chase Williamson from John Dies at the End. So make sure you're subscribe to the best little horror house in philly and i'll see you boils and ghouls over there and welcome back and now it's time to get into the plot for stalked by my doctor colon patient's revenge we open on a montage of the events of the first stalked by my doctor which winds up being a dream sophie the girl from the first movie is having she wakes up in standard nightmare fashion and once the entire family is awake, they have some tea in the middle of the night, and Sophie's parents plead with her to see a psychiatrist or therapist. Sophie just can't get over it until Dr. Beck pays for what he does. 
Meanwhile, Dr. Beck is in bed with a beautiful woman that they've been seeing each other for about three months. She says that they shouldn't have secrets from each other, and she tells him that she experimented with a woman in college and that she would be open to bringing another woman into the bedroom. That's what he wants. He is very giddy about that. Then he's forced to say his secrets, so he tells her about how he had a court case recently after, and that he basically committed jury tampering in order to be found innocent. And while he's squirrely at first on the details, he eventually tells her that he was on trial for kidnapping and attempted murder. He tries to very casually. Yeah, yeah. he tries to blame it on the uh, the victim and saying that ah oh, she overreacted and that's just what happens when you're a doctor. You know, people always gunning for their doctors, trying to sue them for attempted murder. Question for you guys: mm-hmm. so Put yourself in Eric Roberts' character, Albert's position there, uh, Doctor Beck. Put in, put yourself in his position. Right, you're you're in bed, most likely post uh, post coitus. Yep, and. And your your lover basically says, I want to bring another woman into the bedroom. How would you react? And why would you definitely not tell that woman that you <laughs> were on trial for kidnapping and attempted murder? Right. I'd throw, I'd, I'd throw her like a, an easy lo- like oh, a yeah. secret, right? Like, yeah, oh, absolutely. Uh, talk about your... Talk about how you were married and, right. you know, now you're divorced or something like that. Sure. Right. Yeah, there's so many better secrets that you could put out there. I, I yeah. imagine. Right? Like, mm. I, I didn't stop wetting the bed until I was 16. There, there you <laughs> go. <laughs> Very embarrassing moment in my life. I, yeah, yeah, anything but that. I mean, just in general, even if it, she's not dangling like three-way sex over your head, like if you've gotten away with it, take that fucking thing to the grave, man. Yeah, like OJ, like OJ. Still looking. Yep, still looking. still looking. Still looking for the murderer. <laughs> just, yeah, just lie, man. Yeah. He's good at lying. That's his whole shtick. Yeah, exactly. He's very good at convincing people. He does it the entire movie, convincing people that Sophie is the crazy one. Right, and then when, and then when he's at the goal line, he's about to punch it in. <laughs> he fumbles the fucking ball. <laughs> And let's lose that he bribed one of the goddamn jurors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. What a terrible... Like, you deserve to go to jail for that, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, the woman immediately gets nervous and gets dressed and runs out of the bedroom. He somehow gets down the steps before she does and blocks the front door. He also managed to get a giant knife that he threatens to cut her tongue out so she can't lie anymore. Then... Beck starts seeing another version of himself, Vacation Beck. Happy-go-lucky vacationing version of him that tells Beck to take his pills. So he does, goes over to take his pills, and the woman manages to escape while he does and drives away. Then we cut back to Sophie, who is packing her things up to go to college, and she's acting squirrely too about packing to go. She won't let her dad take her back, and her parents find it odd that they didn't get a tuition bill from the college yet. So she goes and puts her stuff in the car and we see we see that she has about a thousand flyers saying to fire Dr. Beck. And then we cut to Dr. Beck being introduced to his class, new class at Southeastern Arizona University. And he can't help but eye all the girls in the classroom. And then he starts to imagine them all taking off their clothes and dancing around the class. And then he snaps out of it. Yeah. And that doesn't that wouldn't look weird to the other people standing around, you know, <laughs> doesn't even register that he's just. Standing up there saying nothing, apparently. Yeah. And then one of the girls in the class, Victoria, who is my favorite movie, 
asks him whether or not he tried to kidnap the girl, and he brushes it off saying the college the college wouldn't have hired him if he did. And then a girl runs into the classroom late, her hoodie. He calls her out for being late, and she introduces herself as Melissa, and she's honored to meet him. And then she goes to shake his hand, but then fades. He attends to her, and he says it's not uncommon for people to have this happen to them when they are stressed. And she says she's embarrassed, and he's obviously smitten. Later, Beck starts taking pictures of Melissa at the middle of the night from hiding behind the single tree that is on the quad. He then has an argument with Vacation Beck, who tells him he needs to stay away from her because he has a problem with younger women, and he's going to wind up in prison. I, and then we see... Okay. I, I don't... Now, I don't know if the... I misinterpreted the first time we saw Vacation Beck, but did they completely eliminate the fact that he talks out loud to Vacation Beck um, um, after that first scene? You would think at the volume that he's talking in this scene, yes. Because he does... She, The woman in the first scene says, who are you talking? So, yeah. Yeah. They just ignored that. Okay, got it. I mean, like... So, this is, like, one of the only scenes that he talks to Vacation Beck when there's other people that are available to hear it, I believe. Okay. So I don't know if it comes up again, but this one is like kind of a suspension of disbelief that he is so alone that nobody could hear this going on because he's not that far from Melissa. Um, yeah, suspension of disbelief, I think, is kind of what we're going for here. Um, then uh, then we see Sophie watching him from an around in the faculty offices, Beck gets an envelope that looks like a love letter. But when he opens it, it says guilty pervert in big red letters. <laughs> then he later adjourns his class and Melissa stays after class to ask him a few questions about the coursework. As they talk, the strap on her dress falls off her shoulder and Beck starts fantasizing about her. So this was a great little moment that I noticed. So the strap on her dress is up the entire time. And then she looks over his shoulder to a picture of him with the quote unquote president. And when he turns around and turns back around, the strap is down. So I think this was all part of Melissa's plan where she, well, once she gets him to turn hey, around man. so she could drop it. It's, and it's like the color red in six cents, man. Yep. Right. Exactly. I wish they would have had him really shaking hands with an actual president. <laughs> Obama. Right? <laughs> is that you with president Obama? Oh yeah. <laughs> that's nothing really, you know, just, just hanging out with the big O. Yeah, it was such a. I think I think I think we all know which president would be in that photo with Beck. <laughs> but it was just generic. It was generic white president Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Yeah, Read my mind, homes. Aunt. Yeah, they're building homes <laughs> together. It's such a. It looks like such an impromptu picture too. That I was like, does she mean president of the college? Because that doesn't. Right. Like... <laughs> it's like just against like a a door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh he he ambushed the president. <laughs> the picture. He asks her if she wants to get some lunch. She says she can't, that she has to submit an application for a scholarship and he seems very sad about it. At night, Sophie breaks into his office and opens a box labeled student handbooks and she smiles with sinister uh, gleam in her eye. The next day in class, Beck hands out the handbooks and the students open them up to reveal that Sophie has placed porn in each of the binders. And Victoria again, making her my favorite characters like I'm paying forty five thousand dollars a year tuition for this shit. Uh. I love the look that Melissa gives him 
oh my god, this is this is terrible, Doctor. <laughs> and he's more upset that she's upset <laughs> than the pornography that has been handed out to the other students. Yeah. Oh man, I've really let Melissa down here. Who gives a shit? <laughs> like you're about to you just handed out pornography. Yeah, man, you're about to job. Yeah. <laughs> Looking like a buff- a goddamn buffoon. Right. He doesn't double check these things before <laughs> class. I mean, it's his first class he's ever taught, you know. Come on, man. <laughs> Gotta be better than that. At night, Becca looks over the security cam footage to see if he broke into his office. He notices a logo on her sweatshirt. That is for low-income student housing and checks the records to find Sophie Green has enrolled in the school. Next day, as Sophie walks to class, Beck confronts her in the middle of the quad. As people watch, Sophie tries to convince the crowd that he tried to kidnap and murder her. He tells her that she's bipolar and that she's making it all up and that a court of law proved he was innocent, a.k.a. he's gaslighting her. She tells her him that she started a petition to get him fired. And then Melissa comes over to take Dr. Beck, Beck's side. And then Sophie calls her ass a bitch. And then they ha- have to be separated. And the crowd disperses. And Melissa apologizes to Dr. Beck for what Sophie is putting her through. him through. Sophie goes to some shady Phoenix townie to get him to beat up Dr. Beck. She tries to get some sexist payment. But then she counts out a huge wad of cash and <laughs> the, uh, the beat down. She, I, don't think she, I don't think she picked up on the hint. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we could work something out i was like oh yeah of course here's some cash <laughs> oh okay yeah that'll work <laughs> that i I, th- I think the guy would have been like uh no i don't i'm not touching your arm for money <laughs> this is the universal code for money you're right <laughs> so as dr beck leaves his office he sees sophie has posted a flyers around campus calling him a pervert and demanding his termination as he walks to his car he's jumped by the least tough looking tufts i've ever seen in any movie ever i died <laughs> laughing when they when they're running up to him <laughs> the way the one guy walks it's like he has a load in his pants <laughs> it looks like it looks like old people at the mall <laughs> power walking power walking <laughs> hey hey dr pervert <laughs> I rewound it at least two or three times just to so watch that funny. <laughs> just such a little just an odd odd decision man odd decision on walking in that, in that sort <laughs> right. of way yeah he I don't know what that guy was thinking but he yeah he it looked like he forgot how to walk yeah man it was funny though <sighs> uh, then they beat the shit out of Beck and, and Melissa sees him lying on the ground beat up so she goes to him to see if he's okay, and he tells her to help him to his office. And yeah, just a reminder, Melissa's in on all of this too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they go to the office to see if he's okay. Uh, they go back to his office, and he rolls up his sleeve through a pretty significant gash on his forearm. And he tells Melissa that he needs her help to stitch up the wound. And then we fast forward, and she walks him to his car, having su- successfully stitched up his arm. So she asks him, if has anyone at home, if he has anyone at home to take care of him? And he says no. So she gives him her phone number and tells him to use it if he needs anything. Vacation Beck shows up again and is growing impatient, telling Beck to get in the car. But instead, Beck has an extended fantasy of him taking Melissa to Griffith Observatory for the purpose of reenacting the dance scene from La La Land and sing a duet of a song written specifically for this film. And God bless the audacity to do this. Yeah, it's glorious. It's Just the balls, the balls to do that in this whacked out fucking movie. 
and the whole scene ends in a kiss. But then he snaps out of it and says he'll see her later in class. And he drives off, leaving her staring as he leaves longingly. Melissa's playing that game, the long game, man. She was kind of convincing, though. Yeah. There were times like, damn, man, like she's really into this dude. Yeah, she's totally DTF. Yeah. But, you know, good acting on her part. They picked the right one. Mm hmm. The next day, Melissa comes calling a bitch out on the She confronts Sophie for sending some thugs to beat up Dr. Beck. Sophie hauls off and slaps Melissa right in the face. They start to scrap until they're pulled away from each other. Melissa says that Sophie's not going to get away with it. And Sophie says, watch me like a true villain. And at this point, it's clear that this movie thinks Melissa is the villain. At, at that point, do you, does someone say, like, did, did anyone not hear her just say, watch me get away with my evil deeds? <laughs> there are plenty of witnesses. Yes, but everyone hates Beck, rightfully so. But, yeah. But now, we're, we as the audience know that. But the people in the in the movie world, they, mm -hmm. you know, as far as they're concerned, you know, he was innocent, right? Yeah. So this is all just like hearsay. And the and the movie one hundred percent believes that he is a guy. It's so crazy. That's what's so oh. fantastic about this movie is that it is so conflicted of who we should be rooting for. It, it definitely tries to gaslight us as well. Yeah, I feel bad for Doctor Beck. <laughs> Now he has to deal with two women. Yeah. Maybe he could wrangle himself a three-way. Yeah. <laughs> well, he has the dream about it, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. Uh, so Beck talks to the dean and tries to convince him that he needs to remove Sophie from the school. Dean says it's not that easy because there's no proof that she had anything to do with the attack and that she's got signatures on her petition to have Beck removed from the school. So the dean says that he has arranged a meeting between Sophie, Beck, and the board of directors to come up with an official solution to the situation. So later, Beck comes to Sophie with an agreement he says has been by his lawyers. It's basically a joint restraining order that keeps them from getting 100 yards away from each other. While she looks this over, Beck squirts an eyedropper into her lunch with something. She rips up the paper and basically tells him to shove it up his ass. He leaves, but waits to make sure she takes a bite out of the food he poisoned and then goes to his office to get his medical bag. So Sophie starts to get sick almost immediately, tries to get up out of her suit, seat, but she collapses and starts to go into convulsions. The dean and a whole bunch of students come over to her aid, and then Beck shows up with his medical bag. He goes through her backpack and, and quote-unquote finds, in air quotes, fentanyl in her bag and says she must have taken some. I am never done uh, fentanyl the way uh, they describe it. That seems like a medical-grade bottle of it mm -hmm. that he pulls out of her bag. Like, yeah. Right. Why would she carry that around? Yeah. And very clearly, you know, if you looked at it for more than five seconds, you could go, that is, that is way too big of a bottle for a college student to be carrying yeah. around with her. Yeah. So he happens to have Narcan, Narcan in his bag, which he sprays into her, her nose to counteract the fentanyl and quote unquote saves her in air quotes. The ambulance takes Sophie away, and the Beck tells the dean that the whole country is hooked on prescription drugs and shouldn't be a surprise that Sophie has taken fentanyl, especially based on how erratic she's been behaving. So they cancel the meeting with the board of directors, and Sophie has a meeting with the dean. She's expelled from the university. She tells the dean that she has over a thousand students who've signed the petition to remove Dr. Beck from the school and accuses the dean of knowingly giving a job to a pervert slash attempted murderer. So then Melissa runs to Dr. Beck's classroom to announce that she got the scholarship and he had something to do with it, according to Dean Sanchez, and that she's so impressed that he would save Sophie's life after all she's done to him. 
And then Sophie comes in like a hurricane and attacks Dr. Beck for getting her expelled. She grabs him by the throat and throws him up against the wall and then tussles with Melissa in the middle of the class. Security has to come in and Sophie is escorted out. Dean tells her that she's going to get a restraining. He's going to get a restraining order against her. And she flips the fuck out and threatens Beck as she's being dragged out of the school, looking like a true crazy person. She's selling this 100%. Dean orders all the students back to class and tells Beck he wants to speak with him. Sophie then gets a call from her mom, who just found out that she isn't going to Wittendale, the school that she's supposed to be going to. Sophie tells her mom that she just got kicked out of Southeastern Arizona University. Her mom is mad because she knows that Dr. Beck teaches there. Sophie says that she must may have just gotten Dr. Beck fired. She has a plan to stop him once and for all. So then Sophie then has a breakdown because, as a reminder, Sophie is a victim of a kidnapping and attempted murder perpetrated by the man this movie really wants us to root for. Sophie tells her mom that she has a plan and that she needs her mom to help her and that she can't tell her dad And when her mom tells her no, Sophie says that she's going to do her plan regardless. But then her mom relents and asks her what she needs. Real quick, her parents also do not help in this situation because Mm -hmm. they don't believe her. Yeah. They're trying to stop her at all costs from getting justice. Well, it's not so much. You just got to let it go. It's more, it's not so much that they don't believe her. That's just, they really want her to put it in the past. They've gone through a trial already and that didn't work out the way they wanted to, but more or more or less it's not helping her to be um just stop her life for this and it's not great advice um no <laughs> very much not yeah if, I, if i'm her parents i'm like yeah you know I'm, I'm i'm seeking out other ways to get this guy yeah i don't know uh so where uh the dean tells beck that he gave beck the job because he wanted to help him get his life back together after the trial Keeping Beck on would threaten his budget, so he has to let Beck go. So Beck walks to the car with a box full of his belongings. Melissa stops to talk to him. She's still ready to fight that piece of crap of so- Sophie Green, in her words. And she thanks him for all he's done for her. Uh, he then asks her for coffee, and she agrees. And then we cut to them having a romantic dinner with wine. She asks him about his life, and he mentions that he was married once for a short time. And he talks about the woman married in the second film but his wife quote-unquote fell in love with another man by that he means he pushed her off the balcony and doesn't she catch herself like she lives yeah 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 isn't like the boyfriend or the daughter or something like i feel like show up I feel and help her she catches herself by the smallest of like uh ledges yeah. and then he gets there just in time to catch her if i remember correctly yeah, i right. should have rewatched the first the second one <sighs> and and then Melissa talks about that she doesn't have a boyfriend because she doesn't like guys her own age. And that she has a father complex and her last boyfriend was in his 50s. And Beck really loves to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think most 50-year-olds probably would like hearing that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. A single 50-year-olds, I'll say. Yeah, absolutely. God, this is great. This is exactly what I need. This is my plan is just falling into place. Right. And at that point, it's I started to get a little suspicious. I was like, man, she's really on the nose with this right now. Yeah. Something, something's up. Like, I don't know what. Crazy. <laughs> right. I, and at first I thought maybe she was going to take over. Like, Have you guys seen the Saw movies? Uh, only the first one. Yeah. So essentially one of the victims from the Jigsaw killer takes over as the new killer. I thought Melissa was going to take over as the new stalker. <laughs> <Dr. Beck. laughs> yeah. Okay. There must always be a Dr. Beck. 
<laughs> and then she confesses confesses that she developed a crush on him. And then Vacation Beck shows up to tell him to call Melissa a taxi and send her home because he's about to make a big mistake. And Beck ignores him and tells Melissa all about his enormous house that's far too big that's far too big just for him. And we cut to Beck and Melissa walking into his house and he gives her a tour. This is the second movie in a row that where's the wealth coming from, especially after an enormous trial? Yeah. Say that, but I didn't hear that part. It's all, it's all that fentanyl he has. <laughs> he he just had this trial where he had to pay tons of lawyers, and he still has this amazing sized house. Oh yeah, somehow he's filthy filthy rich. Yeah, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And then we cut to Beck and Melissa walking into his house and tour that ends up in his master bedroom, but he forgot that he put a picture that he took from across the quad of Melissa on his bedside table. But she's into it. And it shows her how much he cares about her. Because this, this bitch is crazy. When they make out it, it, it fools, uh, it, it fools uh, vacation uh, Beck. Yeah. And then they make out and then they fuck. But wait, Sophie comes through the front door and grabs a knife from the kitchen and heads upstairs. And then when she sees Beck and Melissa going at it, she drops the knife and says to Dr. Beck that she now sees how happy he can make a woman and that she wishes she didn't push him away. So then Melissa comes up to Sophie and undresses her and brings her to the bed to join them. And then he wakes up the next morning and Melissa is there getting ready for classes. It was all a dream, at least the part with Sophie. He tells Melissa that he had a dream that Sophie was there. Melissa says that if she ever set foot in this house, she would have to deal with Melissa. And she leaves vacation. She leaves and vacation Beck shows up and the two Becks confirm with each other that Melissa actually loves him. Beck goes to make himself a very nice breakfast on the patio, and then Sophie shows up and smashes him in the head with a baseball bat. When he comes to, he has been tied up and gagged on the patio. And Sophie, in a lab coat, kicks him in the dick and then says that she needs to remove his dick. And again... Her outfit was absolutely ridiculous. She's great in this scene, too. She's yeah. a maniac. But again, this is all... This, plan, this Part of their plan is for this to not go through, right? Right. Yes. That's the insane part. <laughs> this is this plan is this works exactly as it is, which is it doesn't work at all. Because uh, right. <laughs> what was the end work. goal there? Right. It's just I think it's to get is to make him feel like Melissa has his back and that because then eventually they so eventually they call the cops and the cops are like, yeah, well, you know, everyone's corroborating her story. So then Melissa's like, well, then we're just going to have to kill her. So they, okay. this scene is to make him feel like their relationship is more solidified to get him to try and kill Melissa, uh, Sophie, because he doesn't, he, he, it's not even, it's never even his plan to kill Sophie. It's her plan. Right. Yeah. He, he doesn't want to do that. Right. She's the one that brings it up. So Melissa shows up at the last second and Sophie has to change the plan. Melissa sees Beck tied up in the back and goes to help him then gets fucking wrecked by a haymaker by Sophie from out of fucking nowhere. Now, this is where the plan would have folded. <laughs> so if, say, if you and I were doing this plan, Ant, yep. right, and you decked me, I'd be like, what <laughs> the fuck, dude? Uh, you're not, you're not yeah. supposed to hit me that hard. You have to be able to sell it like a pro wrestler. No, I, I would have been, been furious. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's got a plan until they get hit in the face, right? There exactly, yeah. I I would have like everything's under control. We're about to cut this guy's dick off, and then you punch me in the face, and it falls <laughs> apart. 
didn't say you were gonna hit me that hard. <laughs> right, I just start crying. Like, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. What? What if? Oh, what if she just KOs her? Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, because like, oh well, now there's nothing to stop me from cutting your dick off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she's I gotta got a go. Vamp. She's got a vamp. Now, where were we? <laughs> like yes. she probably wouldn't have been able to hide the uh the surprise like oh oh shit oh. <laughs> it's like now to cut that dick off <laughs> as i planned in the first place <laughs> and then melissa nails a couple of haymakers on sophie they fight but then eventually sophie hightails it out of the melissa trying to run after sophie's car so she leaves sophie calls her mom from the car telling her she's on her way home she confirms with her mom the plan. If the cops call the house, her mom will be the alibi, saying Sophie was home with her the entire time. Cops show up at Beck's, and the cops are less than cordial to Beck. Cops are siding with Sophie, which frankly is a refreshing face, and they question Melissa about their relationship until Melissa confesses that they are sleeping together. Cops are really just having a field day with that whole thing, right? Oh, yeah. They don't believe, they don't believe a word he says, and they're really laying it in. They're like, oh, you're dating a 20-year-old. Yeah. But, you know, fair. Jealous much? <laughs> that would be great if Beck said it. Like, oh, like, would you go home to that hedgehog of a wife? <laughs> like, oh, that's not gonna, that's not gonna help you out any there, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> really trying to get the cops on your side. But at, you know, at the same time, it's like he has a gripe in terms of this woman threatened to, you know, like, you know, commit physical harm to him. So yes, he has. In a very roundabout way, a legitimate problem here. Yeah. Where this woman is threatening to cause him harm. But at the same time, yes, he is. We don't, we should not feel sorry for him because he has kidnapped and tortured that poor girl. Mm-hmm. At night, the cops called Beck to tell him that a few people have corroborated Sophie's alibi, that Sophie's credit card was used to buy coffee near her home. And we find out that her mom dressed up like Sophie and made the purchase. Sophie calls Dr. Beck to brandish a shotgun over and she threatens both Beck and Melissa. Best part of the movie. Oh, she's she's so good in these scenes where she's supposed to be a psychopath. Yeah. Yeah, she's very convincing. <laughs> so then Melissa has a mini freak out and tells Beck that she'll spend the rest of her life with him and she can't do that threatening to kill him. He says that they'll call the police and then the FBI if needed. And Melissa tells him that the cops are hoping Sophie kills him. So Melissa then decides that they have to kill Sophie. She lays out a plan to buy an unmarked gun off the black market and pack enough gasoline to not have to stop her gas. And then go to Sophie's house and just wait for her and then they'll eventually shoot her. And he agrees. So they put in the plan into the ac- action and Sophie says goodbye to her mom in a very tearful goodbye. And Melissa and Beck tail her once she gets in her car. Eventually, Sophie stops in an alley waiting for something. And then Melissa gets cold feet. Uh... uh Beck tells her that it's okay, he'll do it, and then he tells her he loves her. So that gives Melissa the confidence to grab the gun and run up to Sophie's car and unloads four or five shots into the driver's seat. Then she runs back towards Beck and then shoots at the car some more and then hit, and then the car explodes. She says she must have hit the gas tank. So they flee and bury the gun in the desert. The next morning, the news report pronounces Sophie dead, but says there are no leads as to who killed her. Cops call and tell Beck the news in case he hasn't heard. They want to talk to him that day. So the cops show up at the front door while Beck prepares a syringe of something in the bathroom. Melissa tells him that she's going to stay in the bedroom so it doesn't look like she's always with him. And she'll come down if he needs her. 
Spec sits down with the cops and they vent their suspicions over the fact that Sophie was killed by a car fire, similar to how Beck staged her death in the first film. And they have a good laugh about the odds of that happening. And then after questioning Beck's affinity for young women, Melissa starts screaming from the bedroom for help. When the cops get to the bedroom, Melissa is tied up on the bed and she says that Dr. Peck, Beck did it and that he's crazy. And Dr. Beck isn't even sure that she's telling the truth or not. And I was yeah, yeah, this is this where point. yeah, this is where the line comes in where he goes, I didn't do that. Or did I? Yeah. <laughs> like within full earshot of the cops. <laughs> yeah, incriminating himself. Yeah, yeah. That would have been an interesting twist to this movie if like he's been imagining this entire relationship. Yes, that would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I didn't see it coming. Because at at this point I was like, whoa, is that what's happening here? <laughs> and that's what was so cool about this. Like you they did such a good job of making you think, is he crazy or is he not crazy? Yeah. Uh, the cops go to arrest Beck, but he pulls out the hidden syringe and injects the first cop with whatever it is that he hasn't. And he goes to, for, to run for it. Second cop chases after him, but Beck sneaks up behind him and injects him with the syringe as well. Manages to drive away as the cop starts to lose consciousness. Real keystone cops on this, in this movie. <laughs> uh, Beck drives away with vacation Beck giving him the, I told you so. Cops bring in the CSI team and sweep the house. They find C4 underneath the bed. Melissa gets interviewed by the cops. She says she asked him about the allegations and he became a completely different person. Then he raped her and he forced her to help him kill Sophie or he'd cut her boobs off. What a weird choice. (laughs) It's such an odd, odd thing to say. What an odd remark. (laughs) And it would fit. Like those guys would be like, oh yeah, he would say cut her boobs off. (laughs) <laughs> yep classic dr beck <laughs> i could just hear it a minute i could hear him in my head saying it too yeah no totally <laughs> cut my boobs off what <laughs> uh the cops vow that they're going to find the bastard beck eventually steals a car and then listens to a radio report at griffith observatory and he tries to figure out a good story of what happened with vacation beck but Beck is still obsessed with Melissa while Vacation Beck tells him to get out of the country. But instead, Beck goes back to the campus and watches Melissa enter her car and tails her to a neighborhood. Melissa walks in and surprise, Sophie is there. And Melissa knew she'd be there. The house is Melissa and Uncle Sophie has been staying there. Melissa starts helping Sophie try on some wigs. Meanwhile, Beck sneaks around the back and into the house. He sees them in the bathroom and realizes that Sophie is alive. So while Melissa goes to make lunch, Beck grabs Sophie and holds the syringe to her neck. He demands Melissa tell him why she did it, because he knows why Sophie hates him. She tells him that her and Sophie have known each other since they were six, and they hatched the plan after he was found not guilty. She goes through the entire plan of learning how to make a bomb on the internet, stealing a cadaver from the medical lab, even sneaking into the coroner's office to fix the medical records to match Sophie's. Sophie was going to live the rest of the life in hiding under a new name just to make sure that Beck spent the rest of his life in jail serving a prison sentence for the murder of Sophie. Melissa says she did it for two reasons. Because Sophie was her best friend and she's going to be a doctor and Beck is an embarrassment to the profession. This sets Beck off and he injects Sophie in the neck and then chloroforms of Melissa when she tries to escape. So Melissa wakes up to find herself and Sophie have been strapped down to the kitchen island as Dr. Beck is now in surgery scrubs, which I guess he just carries around with surgery tools wherever he goes. I thought the same thing. Where were those? <laughs> and he's talking to a non-existent team of surgery students. He says the two girls suffer from treacherous hearts. And he's going to remove their hearts and cure them with love. And then he will put Sophie's heart into Melissa's body and vice versa. 
I love that they also came up with a Latin phrase. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was it? It, it was uh, trachea, not trachea. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah, but it, it was like tretorious or something like that. Tretorious. Coronary tretorious or something. Yeah, like this guy thinks he's clever. So, Beck goes to apply the aesthetic to Melissa and she tries to appeal to him and tell him she loves him he doesn't buy it but it's all a ploy to distract him while she grabs a frying pan and smacks him in the head with it she goes to run and grabs the phone to call the police he knocks it out of her hand but 911 answers and she tells him to send cops she runs into the back bedroom and beck follows she hides behind the bed and when he goes to grab her she pops up with the shotgun she pulls the trigger but the safety is on so it doesn't go off so they wrestle over the shotgun until Melissa eventually grabs it and smacks him over the head with it, knocking him to the ground. She runs to the front door and the cops have already shown up, which is incredible. And she tells them that Beck is in the back bedroom. But when they get there, he is gone. Later, Melissa yells at the cops for letting Beck get away. But the detectives say that they have roadblocks all over the state and that they will find him. Sophie scoffs at the idea. And then the detectives realize that she is, in fact, Sophie and that Sophie is not dead. So that's a long story that they need to explain. Yeah. And Sophie's yeah, mom shows and- up. Yeah, before that, the I think at this point is those two cops go, well, we weren't on the case back then. Yep. Like, like, like that's going to make all the difference. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the next day, Beck is having a conversation with a vacation drive. He says he still could have worked out on vacation. Beck laughs in his face, telling him to stop the car. They both step out of the car in the middle of the road. Vacation Beck tells real Beck that he has to give up on women. He can't handle it, and he's going to wind up in jail. And then real Beck throws an absolute hissy fit and tells him that he needs he just needs to find his baby and he knows she's out there somewhere waiting for him. And then real Beck drives away without vacation Beck, who just shakes his head and walks down the road. And that is the end of Stalked by My Doctor, colon, Patient's Revenge. God bless this movie. I, I like how it ends as abruptly as it starts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, whoever decided to give these people money to make these these movies thank thank you whoever greenlit these at lifetime yeah yeah what a wild wild series of movies um a lot of fun this is this is definitely a very niche series yeah only people who yeah only the people who enjoy types of movies that we review would enjoy like there's not going to be your regular joe schmo is going to turn this on and be like this is great. They would t- they would look at this for two minutes and say, "Yeah, this is I'm turning this off and watching something else." Yeah. So if you go into this movie, definitely go into it with the expectation that it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like for the third movie in a row in this series, the villain gets away at the end. <laughs> sure, I like that though. Marvel needs to take a note from these movies. Let the bad yeah, guy I live. Mean- it's the only way for these movies to keep being made, right? Right. Yeah. It makes no sense if he dies. Yeah. The best part is that the protagonist, the victim, or, well, she, he's not the protagonist of this, but the victim always survives and Beck gets away. <laughs> that is the common denominator in each of these movies so far. Yeah. He's like Dick Dastardly, essentially, right? He just he, he creates problems for the heroes, and then he sneaks away to, to come back for another episode. Yeah. Yeah, or uh, Dr. Claw. Yeah, that's right. I'll get you <laughs> next time, young girl. Uh, yeah, these these are great. If you haven't seen them, they are on Prime. I suggest them because they're batshit crazy. It's, it's insane that Lifetime makes these movies. 
Yeah, it's it's definitely not your run of the mill lifetime yeah. movie. It it does just does not seem like their their audience that would get these at all. But I'm glad they're making them. Here's here's to just keeping Eric Roberts gainfully employed. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty sure he's going to be 80 doing this, and it's just going to be like it's still great. great. Yeah, and I hope they parody movies throughout all of them. <laughs> oh, that'd, that'd be great. That's what you got to do. Every every movie is centered around a single parody scene. Oh man, I I would love that. That there would be nothing. Or does it have to always be a um? Oh, who who's in La La Land? Um, Ryan. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. Is it a Ryan Gosling parody? <laughs> yeah, I hope there's a the the elevator scene from Drive is from Drive. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Parodied in the Sex Omnia one. Oh man, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> we gotta we gotta we gotta get on that. Yeah. All right. You guys want to plug your shit? Yeah, for sure. Uh, at Diaquino122 is my personal Twitter. Uh, you could also follow our Real Play D&D podcast, Stranger Damies, at Stranger Damies. We update the schedule, let you know what's going on there. Do post some funny memes every now and then. So, uh, yeah, come follow along. Yeah, and then Stranger Damies, our D&D podcast, airs every other Wednesday. We just released an episode yesterday. Uh, so do feel free to check that out on any podcast service that you use. Um, and then the Game Ball podcast is our gaming um, show, and that airs every other Monday. Um, so I think I worked it out to where you have a, a Stranger Damies one week and a Game Ball pod the next week. Um, so as long as you keep that straight in your head, you'll know what is coming for the week. We also stream um, three uh, about three days a week now over on Twitch.tv slash GameVolPod. Um, GameVolPod is what all of our socials are, um, so be sure to follow us there. Um, Mondays is Tom's Retro Night. Wednesdays is Multiplayer Wednesdays. And then Thursday is my co-op streams with me and Jen currently playing through It Takes Two. Um, so just keep an eye out on the uh, Twitter for any changes or special streams as we may start to incorporate weekends again as uh, the fall and winter comes and people don't really want to leave their home for much. Um, and also keep a lookout in the next two weeks or so um, on all of our social channels, um, which includes, you know, um, the one this podcast is attached to and the other ones. Um, we'll be announcing, you know, date and time and stuff for our Extra Life campaign coming up. So just be on the lookout for that. Okay, great. And we are They Called Smoothie. You can find us on Spreaker and wherever you get your podcast just by searching They Called Smoothie. So that's iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us there. We are the mainnamey.com. That's our main website where we post all our articles and all our shows. It's the one-stop shop. So that's the mainnamey.com. And likewise, you could find us on all socials just by searching the main damies. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just type in the main damie and we will pop right up. We're proud member of Geek Vibes Nation. You can find them at gvnation.com and on all socials and all podcast streaming apps just by searching Geek Vibes Nation. Tons of great shows. If you're into geek stuff, there's surely a show for you. We are on TikTok. You can find us at They Called Us a Movie on TikTok. So watch clips that we pull from our video our podcast on our tiktok and that's what we do on there so if you have any questions or comments you want to suggest a movie to us feel free to reach out to us at the main at gmail.com their email address love to hear from you uh if you have a second or two you want to give us some love please go on to your podcatcher of choice 
give us a five-star review. It doesn't take very long. You don't have to say much. Just tell us you love us. And that would get help us out great. Gets us recognized by the uh, the the bots, let's say. I'm going to wrap it up this week. The director of Stalked by My Doctor, Patient's Revenge, is Doug Campbell. So, for Dan Aquino and Mark Myers, this is Anthony Davicchio telling Doug Campbell, well, you certainly made a movie, didn't you? 